just as they come. Thank you for, for their lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. She's not coming. Oh, yeah, she's going to come. She's coming, too. Uh, we, we are honored to be here, and we do honor uh, Brad and Pam for the invitation. The, I, I guess it's an outstanding invitation. It's, we're always welcome, and, and we're grateful uh, that we were introduced to Brad, I don't know how many years ago now. It's been a long time. Uh, but we're grateful, and we do honor you, and thank you for uh, your friendship, your your leadership for us. Uh, whether you know it or not, um, Brad and Brad and Pam they serve on our board of Project World, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, so it, we're a member of of Grace Point in Georgia. I mean, we do watch this, so we're we're here. Whether you know it or not, we we are here. We I, I do get to see you, Charlie, from time to time when you show up on the on the screen. So we're grateful. Uh, for your friendship and your leadership in, into our lives. Uh, but, but with that, uh, it's great to see Charlie. We've been serving in Honduras for 15 years this year, so I met Charlie 15 years ago. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a joy in those 15 years. Uh, God has done a lot of, uh, my word is stupid crazy. That's a good thing. Uh, it's, it's undescribable what he's done in our lives. And it's, it's like, we have a saying in Honduras, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Or we developed out of Honduras, I don't guess it was really, I say it, out of Honduras as well. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. So once you experience it, you can't unexperience it. You can maybe ignore it, but it still exists. So once you see it, you can't unsee it. So once we've seen the things that God has done, he's just became more and more real to us. So we you talk about giving, it's, it's our lives that we give. It's not just our finances. It's our life. He's worthy. I mean, once you see his worth, then it's like it, he's worth my life. I was worth his. He gave his life for me. So he's worthy of my life. So it's not a, I have to worship, I have to do anything. No, it's just who I am. It's who I'm created to be. He's the reason I exist. He's the reason we're here, right? Amen. He's the reason we exist, so he's worthy of everything. My life, my family, our finances, everything. So we are, we do live in Georgia. We're from originally Alabama. Uh, we live in Georgia and been there for years. Uh, but again, we, we started going to Honduras. I was invited on a trip 15 years ago from a mutual friend of ours. We were serving as youth leaders in the congregation, the fellowship that we were a part of. And her friend from high school had been to Venezuela so we invited her to come speak to our youth. And after she spoke, and I said, you know, if you ever have another trip come up, I'd like to go. So she calls me up later on and, and says, I'm going to Honduras. Would you like to go? And I said, yeah, let's go. So it was one of those things. And that's when I met Charlie and fell in love with him. And, and there's, there's people that, that come along, and, and not to elevate other people above anyone else, but there's something about people that, that God connects you with. Um, for life, and, and Charlie was one of those guys that I met, and I remember sitting in the back of a bus, because I was a tagging along of a group, and just, a, just on the outside of that, so Charlie was doing pretty much the same thing, so we sat back in the back of a school bus, and I got to hear all of his stories, so I was connected to Charlie instantly. Uh, another lady that, uh, or another guy that I was connected to was Tim Salterman, and a lady was Sola Radcliffe, so I was connected to them instantly. Same with Brad years after that, but connected. So 
again, so from that first trip, we went back to the congregation that we were serving at, and we were youth leaders, so we started carrying groups down with, of our youth in our congregation, so we just started carrying groups. That's rolled into Project World now as a ministry that, that we have in Georgia that, that we do carry groups down, so we'll carry groups from the fellowship that we're a part of and outside of that. Anybody that wants to go to Honduras, we'll lead your group. And we'll, I mean, a lot of you, that's how I met Mara. That's how I met Greg. That's how I met Ken. That's how I met, there you go. So yeah, I even met you on that same trip. So it's, it's a lot of guys. And, and from that, how they know me is from being a part of that group and helping Brad lead it uh, or anyone else. I mean, you come up and want to go and then we'll lead a group. We'll carry you. So from that project world, we'll carry groups and we'll build houses. We'll go to the dump, we'll go to the hospital, and we do ministry there. And a lot of that was through Tim Sultiman and Soyla and, and Charlie while he was still in country, and, and we just did that, and we brought groups. And then from there, uh, not only just carrying groups down, because we, we call ourselves kind of missionaries to Honduras. We don't live there full time. We spend a large part of our life there, uh, but we're, just, we're back and forth. And then from serving with Soyla and Tim for years, um, their transition came along. She was getting up in age, and we just transitioned, and she pretty much handed over her ministry to us. So then it became not just carrying groups down. We have a footprint there now. That's why I call footprint, and, and it's a ministry, and Krista's going to share about that. So that's Project World, the groups, and we carry groups, but it's, it's become more than that now, and... Here you go, Krista, you talk. Good morning. Um, I'm Krista Smith, Marty's um, wife, and um, we've been married like 36 years, so right out of high school. I was 18, Marty was 19. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you, Brad and Pam, for having us. Marty, you left me. Like, you're supposed to sit up here. Um, what Marty doesn't tell you is that he was, um, he first started going to Honduras, and I was like, oh, that's your thing, buddy. You go right on. Um, I have no part of that. Um, we had two children at home. I had um, no desire to go and be hot and sweaty and dirty and work and give up my time because, um, yeah, that was just me and my selfish self. Um, and then my daughter decided she wanted to go, and I was like, oh, shoot, now I have to go. And uh, needless to say, um, our youngest, I won't tell the long story, ended up going on that first trip, too. And it was like, it was just God saying, you all need to go. Um, and um, anyway, from there, fast forward, um, we have Project World based in the United States, and now we have Mission 922, which is kind of the nonprofit that's based in Honduras. So they kind of married each other. So we have what we call Project World Mission 922. So Project World is the team aspect. Mission 922 is our footprint there in Honduras. Um, we have a ministry home that we rent in the city, so when teams come in, we can stay there and do ministry out of that house, and then we are building a ministry home, building, missionary base. We're not really sure what it is, but it's a big, large um, facility with lots of spaces that hopefully one day we'll be able to house teams, 
um, there's like nine bathrooms on the first floor, so it, it's hugacious, as, as we say, um, or that's my word. And we are um, fortunate enough that we run a feeding center out of that mission home. Charlie, you would love it. It's full of kids. It's like 50 or 60 kids get fed a hot meal twice a week. And the cool thing about that is two years ago, um, Marty and I, are, I'm, I'm very much a planner. Marty's like, let's fly by the seat of our pants. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There needs to be a plan. Let's write it down and let's think about it and let's make sure. And we were, um, this was pre, this was before the pandemic. Okay, so we're February, and we are going to Honduras with a team, and we just kind of said, you know what? There was a vision years ago about starting a feeding center. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. What's it going to hurt? So the goal was at that point, let's feed the children one time a month. Like, we can pay for that. Okay, that's good. We're going to do that. So we go, and it was the most glorious day in the world. It was beautiful. The sun was shining. There was a canopy outside, and there was um, material that had been sewn together just haphazardly. But you can just, you know, if you close your eyes and you imagine the most beautiful um, uh, sun catcher, and the sun comes in, and it catches, you know, the sun rays come in, and, and you catch it, and then there's just this glorious colorful picture of the children running up the hill and they're screaming and yelling because we're going to feed them and I'm sorry it's just this is um this is one thing I want God to control about me is quit crying I just I want you to I want you to be able to not cry and be able to speak but I want you to get a good vision of what that day looked like and it was like yes we've stepped over that line we just we we stepped out on courage and said we're going to do it well before we left that trip we had a sponsor for um, one day a week, so we were going to feed the children four times a month, a hot meal, and um, we were going to be able to hire a lady in our um, that lives in the community to actually share a Bible story with the kids and pray with them because, you know, you got to have a little structure. I'm an educator. I've been in it for 29 years, and by gosh, you need to walk the line. I mean, sometimes you just got to sit down and behave and, you know, listen up. So we, we got to have a little structure. So from one time a month, in that moment, we were um, had a sponsor for four times a month. Now, two years later, let's fast forward, we feed, feed 50 to 60 children twice a week, and we have someone that sponsors that um, a, a business that sponsors about 90% of that, and then there's an individual, and he and his family sponsor the other 10%. It is beautiful. The coolest thing, though, is now we have four people that we pay. So you think about um, if you made $5 a day, just think a minute what your life would look like on $5 a day. Um, a lot of people think, well, you're in Honduras. It's got to be less expensive. It's not. Um, they work is limited so for us to be able to pour into a community that rocks my world like that's economy that is pouring into um, helping women support their families helping them be able to send their children to school um, helping break that cycle and we get to feed into them because we get to love on them they're part of our family so um, that base there, which is about two hours out of the city, of the capital city of Tegucigalpa, we are in what we call a community, Tasati, 
which you may have heard of Eureka. It's very close to that, but it's also about an hour and a half from Mountain of the Flowers, Montagna de la Flor. And we do a lot of work there where we go into the mountains and we um, take food bags and we minister to the people um, there in the mountains. Um, and right now we, we do a lot of work in a village that they have no power. And they, um, two years ago, got their first water spigot. So it was an outside water spigot of fresh water. So that kind of lets you know kind of where they are as far as um, their capability. There's no work there. So um, when you come in with a bag of food, you're helping provide not only um, food for their family, but if they were able to find work somewhere outside of that community, whether it be um, agriculture type work or whatever, then you're, you're able to help them to take that money and do something different with it. I always equate it to if someone came in and said, okay, your grocery bill's $200 a week and I'm going to pay for your groceries. You know, what could I do with that $200, um, you know, outside of paying for my groceries? So we um, do have a footprint there and it is, um, it's really uh, Godspeed at this point. Um, God has done a lot of work the last two years in both ministries, um, also in our lives. And I'm just going to just jump in there. Is that okay? So um, years ago, I, you know, when you give your testimony, it's kind of like um, I equate it to you just stand naked before God and you just let everything, you just stand before him. You're He knows it anyway, um, and sometimes it's very hard for me to share my personal side because I'm very much, I'm a planner, I'm organized, I'm stubborn, I have it all together, I am put together, okay? That's the way, um, that's the way I roll. Um, I have, um, and I don't say this out of pity, okay, but last year, January of 21, I got a diagnosis of breast cancer. January 15th, got a phone call and they said, you know, Miss Smith, yes, it's breast cancer. And, um, you know, it was like someone took a big punch into my gut. Um, I kind of had an anticipation it was coming because I'd had to go through some tests. Um, but what the coolest thing is, 15 minutes later, I get in my car to go home and I, I normally... I am seven minutes from where I work, and I work in the school system. I work at the district office. I've uh, been there 29 years, so, you know, I, I, I kind of know my way around. And um, at lunch, I typically will get in my car, and I just like for it to be quiet. Like, no radio, no nothing. I just want everything to be really quiet, and just I just kind of like to gather my thoughts. So that day at lunch, um, it was really pretty. It was January 15th, but it was very sunny, warm outside. So I had my sunroof open, which I never use my sunroof. I don't even know why I buy those things when I buy a car. And I had the radio up turned really loud. Like, I don't know, it was a good upbeat song. And I had accidentally just left it on. So when I go to get in my car that afternoon, I've just got the diagnosis. You've got breast cancer you know, I'll see you, I mean, kind of, they're rolling off things, and I'm trying to take notes, figuring out what he just said, so that I can, you know, relay that to Marty, and I get in the car, and um, there was a song on the radio, and the very words that came out of my radio were, it's going to be okay, period. I could just drop the mic right there. It was God speaking to me. He said, it's going to be okay, 
And I was stupid enough to believe him because it's stupid crazy, the great things that he does for us. And it was just like in that moment, I cried. I cried for seven minutes all the way home. And I did not cry out of fear. I cried because God said, it is going to be okay. No matter what happens, no matter where, no matter what, it is going to be okay. So let's fast forward. I have a few surgeries. I do radiation. But you know, it was like five months of my life I kind of had to put on hold. Didn't tell anybody because honestly, I'm not a pity per person. I didn't want to go to Ingalls and everybody knows my name and they're looking saying, oh, Krista, I'm so sorry. Krista, how are you? I wanted to be the same person that I've always been. I wanted to be strong and, you know, and, and I, could, I can handle this on my own. But what I couldn't handle on my own, God had already handled for me. He had walked before me. He had told me it was going to be okay. And every time that enemy came in, and I say this to encourage any of you, when the enemy says, but what if? Mm -mm. God told me it was going to be okay. He said, it is going to be okay. I heard his voice. I knew it. There was nothing that could have talked me out of it. And the cool thing is, through radiation and different things, I had such an overwhelming peace. And that is only the peace that God can give you. It, it was only him. And it was the best time of my life. For five months, it was like nothing else in this world mattered but him, period. It did not matter that someone was, you know, cutting me off in traffic. It did not matter that I was late for, um, you know, or forgot to do something, or I might be five minutes late, or bills needed to be paid, or work was crazy busy, it did not matter because I, it, it was just like I was just sitting on just, I was just hovering. God was just carrying me through this. So I looked at Marty one day and I said, you know, I said, the crazy thing about this is I'm different. I can feel it. It is, I am different. I look at things different. I react to things different. And then I thought, I just want to protect that. I want to protect that feeling that um, presence of the Lord. He was there, and he was just carrying me, and I wanted to protect it. But, you know, when things got settled down, and I was no longer needing to just keep my eyes on him, I let my guard down. And the enemy started coming in, and life got busy, and it got stressful. And, you know, I was not reacting in peace, possibly. Um, and it's one of those things where I realized I had to fight for that because as we say lots of times, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Same thing with an experience. Once you experience that peace, that peace beyond anything you can ever imagine, you cannot unexperience that. And it's beautiful and you want to hang on to it. And the only way you can do that is to dig deeper into him and what he's given us and his word and his that intimate relationship with him that he is the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters. So my life has changed a lot, even in the past few months, and um, you may not even be interested, but I, I say all of this not to say anything about me. I don't want you to see me. I want you to see my heart, and I want you to um, hopefully be encouraged that... Um, 
So I've been doing education for 29 years, same school system. Um, my, school ugh, my school system's been very good to me. Hopefully they think I've been very good to them. Um, I could have retired February 1st. This is the sense of humor God has. So um, the week of February 10th, I had a friend text me and say, hey, when you retire, are you still looking for a job? And I'm like, oh, yeah, what you got in mind? She said, well, I actually, I have a few things in mind. So we had lunch. I said, well, let's have lunch. And um, anyway, by the end of the week, I had retired. So that kind of tells you, um, without going into all the details, God moved some mountains that week. He knew I would never retire from a system that I loved and dearly had just invested my entire life into, but he had something better for me. But the cool thing about it is, he said, Krista, you can stay right here where it's safe. And I heard that word this morning was you can stay where it's safe, stay where it makes sense. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being safe. There's nothing wrong with staying where it makes sense. Because, Krista, I'm going to love you, and you're going to love me, and we're going to have a great relationship right there. But guess what, Krista? I've got this over here that is not going to make sense to anyone. Um, you're going to have to actually back up and retire, and you've already worked a half of a month. Um, it's going to be scary. Um, it's not going to make sense financially, but Krista, there is such goodness right here. And I'm going to love you whether you stay over here where it's safe. We're going to be fine. But I, and I'm not going to love you more, but what you're going to be able to experience by going over here with me, just go with me. So Marty and I prayed and looked at it, and he said, Chris, do you remember that time we went to um, rafting years ago, whitewater rafting, and the guide said, these paddles. If you lose one, you're going to have to pay for it. He's all about these paddles. And then he said, but there's one thing I'm going to tell you. If you fall out of the boat, you do not stand up. You kick your feet up and you ride the current. And Marty said, Krista, just kick your feet up. Let's ride the current. And God's just taken us into this current of beautiful things. Now, not to say that I haven't tried to talk myself out of things, but I physically said, God said, Krista, right here, you stay right here in front of me. You do not look to the right, and you do not look to the left. You look right at me, and you keep your eyes on me, and as long as you keep your eyes on me, then I'm going to take care of you, and we're going to go to greater lengths, greater places, do greater things, and that's part of today. That's part of today, and I just, it's almost like I just want to release that to you. I just want to release that to this church, to the people within this church, as you keep your eyes on him. You do not let anything or anyone talk you out of anything that God has put before you. You keep your eyes on him, and he will take care of you. He will. Thank you. Well, and Kristen, somebody watch the time because we will, we don't want to talk too long. What time is it? 15 minutes. Uh, 
Hey, well, we can do that too because it's... It's a life of, of intimacy. And it's not a word. I don't, I don't know that you use a lot in, in settings like this, but I, but I think we need to. It's this life that we're living is, is, is birthed out of a place of intimacy with the Lord. Everything that's birthed is birthed from a place of that. Everything that, that's birthed in our lives is from a place of intimacy. He has to be worth it. You, we have to see the value of his life. And when we see his value, then what comes naturally from us is a life laid down. It's not about the success or my business or the careers or speaking. It's not about Honduras. It just happened to be in Honduras where he began to start changing our lives and our worldview. But from that place, I grew up in church. I was introduced to a, to a gospel that, that I was afraid of God. I said a prayer to get out of hell, to go to heaven one day to meet a God that I was afraid of. And that was my existence. So I lived a life of, of saying this prayer and then trying to manage sin, trying not to sin. Every day, it was, that was my life. And as a youth, I was, I was in church, and I was out of church. As a young adult, I was in church, I was out of church. It was always about in and out of church. It was really never about a relationship with the Lord. It was, I said a prayer to get out of hell, and then tried to manage sin. And it didn't work well. I mean, I was conflicted. It was, it was, it was not a, and my life represented it. I was not a good husband. I was just not a good guy. I was trying to manage life. And then one day, it's kind of like it, just a, a light switch when you turn it off and on. It was, I was just reading scripture, and I read in 1 John where John said, we, the apostles, came to a place to where they believed and came to know the love that God had for them in his life. So, John, you've been following the Lord, right? I mean, you're an apostle. And you came to a place to where you began to know and to believe the love that God had for you. I didn't know that God. I didn't. I wasn't introduced to his kindness leads us to repentance. That's not the God I knew. I was afraid of God, so there was no intimacy with God. I would not approach God. Anything that happened in my life, I thought he was punishing me. That's the God I knew. So when I began to come to know a God that actually loves me, it blew me away. It changed my life. It was like a light switch. It was like, boom. And then I read in Philippians, Paul, where it's chapter 1, verse 9, above all these things, I want your love to grow to a place to where discernment comes from that place. So when my love for God grew to a place to where I knew that he loved me and I loved him, then now I'm, beginning, I'm ready to lay my life down for the guy. He's worthy. I mean, you can't convince me otherwise. He's worth it. So I began to just dig into his love. And from that place, Paul says in, in Ephesians, and we're, we really will read some scripture. I know, Krista, you keep a timer on me. 
to experience love. I mean, Krista talks about a peace that goes, and, and Scripture talks about a peace beyond understanding. I mean, you can't explain it. There's something about, and, and don't take this wrong. My relationship with the Lord is, is, I dig into this and I love this. But it goes beyond this. I know him. I've encountered him through this and even maybe out of this. But how, how, do you know, how can you experience a love, he says in Ephesians, to know love that goes beyond knowing? It's good to hear it. I, I've heard it all my life. As a kid, God loved me, but I didn't know it. I had heard it. I knew that he did, but I didn't know it. It's bigger than knowing. How do, how do, you, love, how do you experience a peace that goes beyond understanding? It's more than letters in, in, on a page. It's life. It's breath. It's the reason I'm alive. And that peace that we've experienced, you can't talk Krista out of that now. You can't talk me out of it. I have to fight for it, but you can't tell me that it doesn't exist. When you come to know a love that's beyond knowing, it's more than this book. I mean, it's more than these letters. It's more than these pages. It's life. I know he loves me. He said it, but I've experienced it. I mean, when, when, you, when he says uh, a love beyond knowing, knowing a love that goes beyond understanding and knowing it, it's, it's that you've experienced it. I've experienced love from Krista. She told me that she loves me, but, but she lives it. So I've experienced it, so I know it. It's deeper than just, oh, I've heard that. Yeah, that's kind of cool. God loves me. But do you live your life? Do you set your life by his love for you? Paul says, too, in Ephesians, and we're all about, or I am, about motives and why. I used to hear scripture about walking and living in his fullness, and boy, I was in it, right? Oh, yeah, I want to, be, I want to have God's fullness living in me. And it was all about probably selfish motives because I wanted to be able to lay hands on people and, you know, they fall out on the floor and get healed. And, oh, yeah, check, did y'all see that? I'm anointed. I mean, honestly, I mean, when I was exposed to that world, because I'd never been around that, and when I was exposed to that world, it's like, oh, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I didn't know we could do that. So my motives were definitely not pure. Uh, but then I get to reading Paul, and Paul says to know the fullness. The only way we can know his fullness and how the fullness living in us is through love. That's the only way. It's the way it comes. It comes through love. Period. So everything that, that comes from me, that comes from him, is birthed out of a place of knowing his love for me. It's the fruit of my relationship. It's the intimacy that we have, me and Holy Spirit. It's that intimacy. The fruit from that is now, yes, I can lay hands on people and they will recover. It's birthed out of love. It's not birthed out of motives of getting an anointing to lay hands on the sick. It comes our relationship, and it comes from a place of being birthed out of that, out of love. To ever walk in the fullness of who God is, it comes from love, and knowing that love beyond understanding in its relationship. But I do want to, uh, i got five minutes. No, well, we don't, I, don't, I don't want to, I mean, we don't want the food to get cold. I mean, no, I'm just, we'll microwave, we'll warm it up. Uh, 
Um, God, what do we want to do? You can go ahead and turn. We're going to go to, I think we'll go to Philippians. It's going to be Philippians 3, but Paul says it several times throughout Scripture. But encountering his love, because my journey started with, honestly, with encountering his love like I'd never been before. And it's changed my life. It's the reason I live. It's bigger. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I love this book, right? I mean, it's changed my life. So I love the book. It's, it's not. But it's intimate. It's meaningful to me. And it's my relationship with him. Genesis, we were created in his image, in his likeness, correct? We know the scripture. So it's always been about his image. Lucifer, what did he want, right? Why was he kicked out of heaven? He wanted to be God, right? He wanted, his life. He wanted to, to reign, to rule, right? So it was all about God's image. And guess what you were created in? God's image. So we have the very thing that Lucifer wanted. So why do you think you have a, why is the enemy of your soul, the enemy of your life, why is he your enemy? Because you carry the very thing that he desires. That's the reason we exist. I mean, how this thing started, however many years ago it started, was you were created in his image and in his likeness. He created man and female, male and female, right? We were created in his image. You go on. And in, I think it's chapter 2, maybe. We're in the garden. Well, we're not. Mankind is in the garden. He makes us in his image, in his likeness. He created us male and female. Then he's, there's trees. And there's lots of trees. But there's two in particular that it talks about. The tree of knowledge, good, and evil. And the tree of life. You can eat from anywhere you want to eat. Just don't eat out of this one tree. Because if you do, you surely will die so we ate it correct so what happened we died so what were you born into death you go to Romans 5 and it says hey let's just go there let's go to Romans 5 I think it's verse 12 I'm gonna have to get some glasses so forget Philippians for a second let's go back to Romans I think it's 5 12 yeah, there it is. How about that? It didn't change. It didn't, it's still there. How about that? Romans 5, 12, in my translation, which is New King James, it says, Therefore, just as through one man, who is that one man? Adam. Just through one man, sin entered the world. So sin entered in through Adam eating the fruit, not Eve. Right? Okay, men, so we don't have to give women hard times. So it's not Eve's fault, right? So we're, going, we're putting a plug in for the women of the house. Amen. Come on now. Y'all get excited. This is good stuff. Leave them alone. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. And what came through sin? The rest of that verse. Death. Death reign. You were born into, we are still today, born into the realm of death. Right? Death reigns. You're born into it. Why does Scripture say that you've got to be 
born again. Because we're born again into life, not death. Death through. So, so sin entered the earth, sin entered the world, death through sin. Why does go on to Romans 6, but we're, we won't go there. Go on to Romans 6. Well, wait, let's, let's do go there. I'm sorry. I said that, but let's do. I, w- I just want to see, because this was so far-fetched to me. When I read this, I thought, no way. You've got to be kidding. Well, a couple of things. We're going to start in verse 3. Do you not know, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us that were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? And I thought, no, I didn't know that. Because he's asking you, right? Did you not know that as many of you that were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So we'll go on to verse 4. Therefore, as many of you that were buried with him through baptism, baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in the newness of life. And I love this phrase. It says, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so you. One more scripture. Just that, Keep that in mind. Just as Jesus, not different, not Jesus, super turbo Jesus. And not, no disrespect. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Jesus was a man, fully God, empowered by Holy Spirit, right? Our example, fully man, empowered by Holy Spirit. Our example of life, not a beyond... Superman, but a man, our example, empowered by Holy Spirit. So what is the limit in that? Is there any, any limit in, in Jesus because of Holy Spirit? So who, whose spirit lives in us? Holy, I mean, it's the same spirit, right? There's no, nothing different. So can you live the same life that Jesus lived? Yes. That's not heresy. That's not blasphemy. That's not arrogance. I used to would think that it was arrogance. But when you encounter a holy God, <laughs> there is no arrogance when you meet him. When you meet, a God, when you meet the God, Yahweh, that spoke everything that we see into existence, it's not arrogance. It's walking in the fullness of who God is and what you're created for. We lost in that death. You, you, you read uh, Luke 15, I think, of, uh, I mean, we, we have Luke 15. We have him, the, um, the prodigal son, but it's really a story about a, a good, good father, right? The prodigal son, this, this is... I always misunderstood, and I couldn't really grasp the whole thing of dying. And we say died, we, Adam died spiritually because he ate the tree, or he ate the fruit of the tree, but he didn't die physically. He didn't die. But we say he died spiritually, which is true. But I couldn't just really grasp that. I thought, God, he died spiritually, but how, how, does, that, how does that affect me? 
So in, in Luke 15, the, de the description of the father when the prodigal son returned, he's throwing a party, right? Bring out the fatted calf, man, put a ring on the robe, on the finest everything. My son was dead, now he's alive. When he was living in the hog pen, he was out of purpose, he was out of meaning in life, he had left what he was designed and created to be and do. Was he dead? No. He was just living out of purpose. Not reading, reaching the potential that he was created to be. So when we live in death, which we're born into, we're out of purpose, we're out of meaning, our destiny has changed, everything about us. That's what changed in Adam. Adam died. He, be, he began not to look like what he was created in, the value that he was created in. So we're born into that. That's why we have to be reborn. You are valuable. Now you're born again. We're born out of death. Now we're alive. Now we're back on purpose. We're back on meaning, and we have destiny, right? So let's go read one more thing, and then I'm going I'm to... We're going to drop the mic and we're going to get out of here. We could really read a lot right there, but we won't. But this one just, just really, uh, let's, where do we want to go? Now let's, let's go verse 7 and we'll read through. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. That's not in that day. When we live with him, that's today. That's not... I always, when I, everywhere I read resurrection, I always think about the end times. For some reason, everywhere I read resurrection, I'm thinking about one day we're going to be raised from the dead and we're going to live with him. This is now. This is not that day that we call that day. This is alive now. Christ's death was our death. His resurrection was our resurrection. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. Uh, for if we die with Christ, we believe we will be with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Is he ever going to die again? Death no longer has dominion over him. So did death have dominion over him? Yes. Death no longer has dominion over him. And I thought, if death no longer had dominion over him, then death did have dominion. Why does, why, does, why does Paul say he's the firstborn from the dead, from the realm of death? He was, the, was he the first one that ever been raised from the dead? No. Bible stories talks about being people being raised from the dead. But he's the firstborn from the dead. And now we are the second man, secondborn thirdborn, fifthborn. If he's our example now, we're born from the dead. Anyway, I, I, I'm sorry. But let's, let's read verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Presenting ourselves to God alive from the dead. You were born into death. And I know it's, it's hard to... Uh, it was hard for me to wrap my head around. And still, I mean, I, not that I've got it figured out by any means. 
But we were born into this realm of death, and we still live in this realm of death. But Paul talks about living in a lifestyle that you're born from this life of death, reborn. And we're going we're gonna to read a, a Philippians, and then we're going to quit. It's Philippians 3. We can, you can go there. Philippians 3. Uh, I don't know what. Let me see. I got five seconds. Oh, we got to bless the food, too. Boy, this is going to be really scattered, smothered, and covered. This Waffle House. Y'all don't have, do y'all have waffle, waffle Houses up here? Oh, man, y'all know what scattered, smothered, and covered is, don't you? Uh, we're going to really read in, in 10 and 11. And on a little bit more. Uh, Paul talks about in this whole passage, this chapter. You know, if you know, he he, it's like Krista. You know, I'm kind of scattered, smothered, and covered. She's put together, and that's just not my. You know, I'll just kind of go with it. Paul had a had a. You know, he had a pedigree, right? I mean, he was, and he owned it. I mean, he had a good heritage. But he came to a place to where all I want to do is know this Jesus. I want to know him. All these things that I thought were valuable to me, that I, that I thought were of worth, have become as a pile of poo, dung. They're worthless. They don't have meaning. I don't find value in them anymore. And it can be from your career. It can be from your spouse. It can be your kids. Anything that you put of value in this world, compared to knowing Christ, Paul says, it's not even comparable. My life is to know him. And if you read it in the Amplified, I love the Amplified version it states, I want to know the wonders of his person, Jesus he's talking about. I want to know him more intimately, better acquainted with the wonders of his person, because he's a person. He's not just letters. He's a person. I want to know him. All the things that I thought were of worth, they're dung. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Paul says throughout his epistles, the power working in us is not so we can lay hands on the sick and for them to recover. It's not to speak in tongues and have a word of knowledge and prophecy. Paul says those things are good and, and, and seek desire those things, but you pursue love. There, there's an order to all that. But there's not... Those things do not outweigh knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because all of those things, the fruit of all of that, will be produced from a place of knowing him. Because it's going to be birthed from a place of intimacy with him. So all those things I count as dung, that I would know the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection to believe. And you read in Ephesians 2, and he talks about power, knowing the hope that you've been called to, knowing uh, what's the, the hope that you've been called to, your inheritance in the saints, and know the power outflowing from his resurrection. That power, you go on in the beginning in chapter 2, it says, and you he's made alive. It's power to believe that now you've been raised from the dead now. 
Not one day. Paul says, all these things I count as done just to know him and the power of his resurrection now in this life. Not one day in the future that I know the power of his resurrection, the suffering that he went through, that I would know it, that I would be so intimately acquainted with it that I would know the power outflowing from his resurrection, that I can live a life now of resurrection. Not one day that by any means, and this is in verse 10, that I may know him in the power outflowing from his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and being conformed to his death, that by at any means that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. And that's not one day, that's today. Because he goes on to say, not that I've apprehended it. And this is to drop the mic. This is leading you in suspense. You know, you watch all these TV series or TV shows that leaves you in suspense of make you come back for next year, right? This is what I feel like Paul's did to me. Because he goes on and he says in this passage, not that I've obtained, it depends on what translation, this ideal, this idea, not that I've attained it. So he's still speaking in present tense, not one day in the future of Jesus coming back to get us, right? He's talking about today. Not that I've attained it, but this one thing I do, I forget everything behind me, and I'm pressing on for this goal. And then he goes on to say, maybe we're not all there just yet, but as much revelation that you have of this, you live out what you know. In verse, I think maybe 13 or 14, it goes on and says that. So live out the power of the resurrection that you know, but press into the fact of the power that lives in us is power to believe that he's alive. So if you believe Christ was raised from the dead, how many believe? I mean, we're all believers in here today, maybe? You believe that he's raised from the dead. By the power of Holy Spirit, by the glory of the Father, Jesus was raised from the dead without a doubt. I mean, we stake our, I mean, that's our faith, right? We stake our claim in that. But Scripture says, just as, just as, no different than Jesus was raised, just as Romans, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so you, just like Jesus, was raised from the dead, starting now, not one day. So we live that life. Amen. So, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we're all one faith, one body. We're members of each other. We're members of each other. Thank you for the food, this time of fellowship. Father, receive honor, receive glory, power, and dominion. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I guess you go eat now, right? Go eat.